0: Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode number 225 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Hope you guys are staying safe out there and that you enjoyed the weekend. And to all our listeners in Louisiana, it looks like you're going to get hit with a double dose of hurricanes this week. So we send you all the best and hope you are out of harm's way. Donald Wine here. I am the host for this episode. Still in Texas with my family and will probably be here for another week plus as we attempt to move forward with life, and many thanks to all of you who reached out after last week's episode. I, I sincerely appreciate all of you for uh, your well wishes and your condolences. You know who else I appreciate? My two co-hosts, who are also here with me. First, Sam Klein is in Massachusetts. Hello, my friend. How's it going up there?
1: It's good. I am in my. I'm recording from my new apartment in Boston. So if it's echoey, it's because I am recording while laying sitting on my mattress in a room that otherwise has no furniture. So the ceiling or the, the walls look very big right now because I'm basically sitting on the ground all the time. Uh, I do, I think, have a bed arriving this week, so I might return to some semblance of normal. I am also drinking a canned seltzer water. So uh, whoever's editing this episode, please get rid of the burps, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> and otherwise, I think, I'm, I think I'm free of logistics, um, but uh, it's very exciting to be back with you guys. And I think today we might just talk about basketball.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we might. Um and here's the thing, uh, people on the podcast who are listening can't see this, but we can see this cuz we can see each other and y- you got to get some stuff on your walls. I know that's like usually the last thing that people do. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, wait
2: your walls people are pretty should bare. People should see literally Sam is sitting in front of a completely white background.
3: Yeah. It is it's, it's,
2: it's very it's, it's weird very bare,
1: but it's, it's like you yeah. moved in. <laughs> Oh, but you, you guys can't see, but now you will. I also have a white blanket. Oh, there you and, go. Uh, and some white pillows. Uh, okay, there are so, some, so there there are some motif blue sheets. Thing. Yeah, yeah it, it's sort of, uh, it makes the space look bigger. Um, yeah, it does. Which, which is something I need as, a, as an extremely small person. I need the space <laughs> around me to look very large. Awesome. And by the looks
0: that we have Jason Evans with us, and he appears to be still enjoying vacation. Am I right,
2: Jason? You are correct, sir. Yeah, at the Jersey Shore. Um, by the way, I had some, I had some pizza. If you've ever been to Ocean City, New Jersey, there is a place on the Ocean City Boardwalk called Three Brothers from Italy Pizza, and they I make had this this, pizza. I've had said pizza. Three Brothers from Italy makes this pizza that's about eighteen feet across. It's huge. My family of four, including my two adult sons, um, can eat a lot of pizza. And We order one of these pies. And it's so good. I mean, like there are puddles of orange stuff that I don't want to identify exactly what it is. I think it's just a huge puddle of orange grease right in the middle of your slice. It's the most delicious thing ever. It's probably horrible for me, but God, it's good. Welcome
1: welcome to our program where Southerners talk about Northern food. With
2: astonishment. <laughs> Wait, we're going to do barbecue. I can do barbecue.
1: Oh, no, no,
0: no. That's a, We're going to have the own special Duke versus Kentucky podcast where we talk about nothing but barbecue. But <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about basketball because we had some big news that hit the world over the last week. Uh, we're going to begin with the biggest news, and it was a major get for the Duke Blue Devils the number three player in the ESPN 100 for the class of 2021, Paulo Banquero announced that he will be joining the Brotherhood next season and play at the Gothic Wonderland. Bancaro is a 6'8", 230-pound center from Seattle and is the second player from the class of 2021 to commit to the Blue Devils, joining A.J. Griffin. Jason, I will begin with you first. Tell us about Paulo Bancaro and what he is going to bring to next year's team.
2: So before I get to what he's going to bring, I want to talk about the fact that this was, uh, this is something that just doesn't happen in recruiting. This was a huge shocker, a huge surprise. Duke has been involved with Bancaro for a while, but no one expected him to commit at this point. There was no, like, you know, most of these guys, they go, oh, you know, here's my list of 10, here's my list of five, here's my final three, and they're laying it out over the course of time. Caro hadn't done any of those things. It was just out of the blue that he committed. And the fact that he committed to Duke was even more surprising. Uh, both of his parents were athletes at University of Washington, and he was considered to be a major UW lean. Now he's good friends with Kennedy Chandler, a point guard prospect that Duke had been after. And when we did, and he went. Uh, Chandler committed to Tennessee just a, a, about a week ago or so, and a lot of people thought that Ben Caro and Chandler would be a package deal, and that Tennessee would get Bancaro. Caro. So first there was this Washington talk, then it was Tennessee. Kentucky has been pushing hard on this kid. This is a really good player, as I'll discuss in a moment. But no one, no one was picking Duke. We've been involved. We were talking to him, of course, but no one expected this to happen. Then out of the blue, he just says, hey, I'm committing, and it's the Duke Blue Devils. So huge surprise in every aspect of, of the recruitment. But wow, what a major, major get for Duke. This is a extremely, extremely talented player.
1: Jason. The, the surprise nature of this commitment kind of reminds me of the Zion Williamson commitment from a couple of years ago, where there were other schools that were, you know, I, I think in Caro's situation, it wasn't as clear between Tennessee, Kentucky, Washington, which of them was necessarily the front runner. There were kind of arguments for all of them, but for Zion, it was like, he's going to Clemson. Everyone kind of knows this. It's just a, it's just a formality at this point, And then Bam! The the news changes. Is that how you felt when when you heard that the Duke was able to land this prospect?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great comparison. I, I, I want to point out, Van Caro is not sort of the social media phenomenon that Zion Williamson was. So so there wasn't, and and Zion had announced when he was going to announce. You know, it wasn't like a surprise uh, announcement that came out of nowhere. But but yeah, in terms of where you know this was another case of a kid Duke was involved with, but not considered to be the leader on, Um, and we got him. So I, I think that's a, Sam. That's a perfect comparison and and, and very apt. I was going to say when it comes to the comparison, that was the first thing that I thought of. But this
0: feels more surprising to me because at least Zion, we had an announcement date. We knew what his top three or four were. This one, it was just like I mean you could have missed it like i was scrolling on twitter and was just like wait back up what does that say he committed to who it, it was like that surprise it was like out of the blue when you when when jason mentioned that he means it it was something that literally if you weren't looking for it you would have missed it and it would have been okay to miss it because it was that quick
1: it's not a time of year when we expect big commitments to be happening right i mean obviously the the pandemic is changing the schedule a little bit but Coaches are not able to visit prospects right now. So it's not like Bancaro's been able to see the Duke staff anytime recently. His high sometimes there's there's a little wave of commitments that happen right before the high school season begins when players are like, you know what? It's my senior year. I don't I like I know who I'm gonna commit to. I just want to get it over with. So they'll they'll make that announcement maybe September, October before their season starts. But right now, high school seasons are all in jeopardy anyway. So it's not like that soft deadline is imminent for him. So this was as you said, Donald, the, the, the timing was surprising, not just because it was a surprise that he came to Duke, but this is not a time of year when you expect a lot of commitments. So yeah, I, I was the same way where I saw the announcement on Twitter and I was like, wow. I, I I remember hearing about him and knowing that he was one of the very top players in the class did not think that his announcement was going to come so out of the blue like that.
2: Well, and and the other thing about the announcement, and I promise folks, we're going to get to what kind of player he is in just a moment. <laughs> but the other thing about the announcement is this was a really low key announcement. Like a lot of kids produce, you know, or they have someone produce a, a splashy video that announces things for them. A lot of kids, look, a, a kid like Ben Carroll could have easily gone on ESPN to make the announcement, at least ESPN U to make the announcement live. Um, all, all he did was post a really simple, very rudimentary. Like he said, I'm committed to, and then it just flashed up on the screen Duke. And like, you know, with a couple, you know, animated things of, of him in a Duke uniform. But, uh, you know, in this social media age of guys producing slick videos and, and having really fancy announcements, this was very low key. Um, and, and I like that out of the kid. He, he He's about getting the job done on the court. He's not about building this big, huge brand or all that other kind of, you know, extraneous stuff. So let's get to what he's like on the court. Like Donald said, 230 pounds. He is a solid, solid player. Um, power forward or center. I really think at Duke, he's probably going to be a a stretch five. I don't think you're going to see him playing um, much power forward, but he's easily, he has the skills. The NBA comparison on him is to be a power forward. Um, He is extremely skilled for a guy his size, has a good outside shot, doesn't shoot a ton of threes yet. Looks like he has the kind of stroke that could make it, but I mean, he pulls up from inside of 15, forget it. It's going down. He's got a very very good shot. Uh, his ball handling skills are outstanding. This is someone who's capable of putting the ball between his legs when he's dribbling, juking guys. He makes great passes. He is really really known for being an outstanding passer for a guy his size. Likes to get the ball in the high post where he can do a lot of different things with it, looking for teammates. Uh, there there's some highlight films I've seen of him making, you know, like blind behind the back passes and stuff. This is A highly skilled player who comes in a physical package, 6'8", 6'9", 230 pounds, where he can play a lot of different positions, and he's quick enough on the floor that he has been known to guard. Like in high school, he guards the opposing team's best player. If their best player is a point guard, he guards the point guard. If their best player is a center, he guards the center. This guy can do a lot of different things on the floor. Duke fans, this is a big big deal. This guy is going to be a huge impact freshman for the one year we get him. And yes, it'll be one year. He is an absolute one and done candidate.
1: Jason, I'm glad that you highlighted the passing because I think that's a a, a huge component for him. You know, it's you can get a, a big who's six nine in high school and just bigger than everybody else on the court. And yes, he's going to have lots of dunks. And if he is coordinated enough to run down the floor, he will have breakaways. And, and that's all well and good. The little bits of highlights that I've gotten to watch on Bancaro tell me that he's a, a much smarter player um, than, than just your, your standard exactly. huge big man. Uh, he made a comment in, I think it was to Paul Biancardi at, at ESPN, about how Coach K wanted to compare him to Shane Battier which obviously gets us and, and any other Duke fan excited if we have more Shane Battiers coming down the line. Duke has had some success in the last few years with with passing bigs. Jolly Okafor was a good passer. Um, Marvin Bagley, of course, was a great passer. So so it's not like Coach K doesn't know how to use a player like this. And and being able to pass, especially out of the high post as a big, it is, is going to be really important for Ben Caro to be a star on the team because it's one thing if you can bottle up a big who – who is just down low. But if he can roam around in space and and use all that size, he's going to be really dangerous no matter what team he plays on. So I'm glad that he is playing for Duke.
0: Yeah. The the versatility is what stood out to me. He, you know, we saw a lot when you hear the word center, you're thinking this guy's just planted in the post, but he can shoot the three very well. He, like you said, he can pass, he can run the floor, he can dribble, he can do a lot of things. And I think that versatility and that ability to be able to play anywhere is what coach K was telling him that he can do that, you know, the office is going to be open for him to do his thing in the places that he feels comfortable doing them in. Uh, but one thing that I will note as we close this out is he did say on that Instagram live uh, that you mentioned, Sam, that he was going to work on recruiting Patrick Baldwin uh, who is number two in the class and Trevor Keels, who is a shooting guard out of Fairfax, Virginia, uh, number 15 in the class. Keels, I should note, goes to the same high school, as Jeremy Roach did, who was entering his freshman year. So I think he's about to get the full court press uh, and the full weight of the Brotherhood recruiting him over the next couple of months. It'll be great if we can land those two to kind of round out this class and make it one of these classes that are on the lines, that, not, maybe not as hyped, but on the lines of uh, that, that class that featured Zion, Cam Reddish, and uh, RJ Barrett.
2: Yeah, I have to tell you, if, if we get Patrick Baldwin to go with Ben Caro and Griffin and then Trevor Keel's it is it is very similar. I mean, very similar in terms of the positions that they play and the type of roles that they would play. It is very similar to what you saw when Duke landed, you know, the truly incredible Zion, RJ, Cam Reddish, and Trey Jones class. Um, and and headed into next season, headed into next season, Duke expects I think the
1: cupboard to be a little more full because there are a lot more guys coming in this season. Who and, and we'll talk about this I think a bit when we get to to Matthew Hurt's development but there are a lot of guys on the team this year who are freshmen who are not expected to be one and done. That, that percentage is much lower, so more guys who are gonna stick around to help those, you know, the, the sort of next crop of, of superstar guys fill in really well. So a, as excited as I am for the 2021 season that we hopefully get to play, uh, 2022 is, is going to look awesome for Duke, uh, even, even just with the, the start that we have now.
0: Sam, you brought it up, and we're going to switch right into it. We're going to turn next to Matthew Hurt. Duke men's basketball has been in the middle of summer workouts for a few weeks now. And in pictures and videos last week, they showed a Matthew Hurt that has gotten noticeably bigger. And when someone on Twitter noticed that and and shouted it out, we got a response from Matthew Hurt's dad, who responded and mentioned that uh, Matthew had went back to Duke at 240 pounds. For reference, he was listed at 214 last season. Furthermore, his dad went on to say that Matthew had gotten up over 50,000 shots since the end of March, which is a great thing. Now, Duke Blue Planet is the best of the biz. They've been putting out video clips for the last couple weeks of the guys as we get to know this Duke team. But Sam, I want to start with you. I, I checked, and the nearest cookout to Rochester, Minnesota is Frankfort, Kentucky, which is 694 miles away. So he gained 26 pounds in another way. So what do you think of Matthew Hertz bulking up? And you can also take that to talk about his sh- the shooting that we talked about or anything else you've seen in the various Duke Blue Planet videos. Hey, hey before
2: Sam answers, how is Cookout not a sponsor of this podcast? Cookout, please sponsor our podcast. You can pay us in food.
0: Yeah, I, I will I will happily accept whatever <laughs> you want to give. If you gave me T-shirts, jerseys,
1: food, I don't care. I really I've, don't. So, all right, then I guess if we're going there, let's start – on the food angle. Have either of you been to Minnesota before? I have
2: 1992 f- final four Duke won the championship. I was there. There in you the go. Antlers. I've been more f- recently
1: than that, but <laughs> are you familiar with the juicy Lucy? Oh yes. Yes. So I am not worried about people from Minnesota being able to put on 26 pounds in, in a summer, especially a they, summer where there's nothing to do. They also have right? cheese
0: curds up there. They're not as good as Wisconsin yeah. of cheese curds, but they but they got those on the side.
1: I have a few friends from, from Minnesota. I, I find it a lovely place, uh, but, and the, the eating is hearty. So I am not worried about Matthew Hurt being able to, to put on weight. This is, I wouldn't say unsurprising, because he obviously made it this far in life, not being this huge. But if he has put on weight that looks that good, this is amazing for Duke. Because last season, I think we saw flashes of what Matthew Hurt could be when he is fully filled out. Obviously, you know when you're when you're six nine or, or six eight and only eighteen years old, you just haven't had time to fill in that frame yet. He's a he's a quick player. He is able to make shots from the outside. The size is going to allow him to uh, to force a lot of players to adjust to him when he's on defense because you're you're not going to be able to get around him as easily if he's this big and still this quick. And then on offense, it's huge for him because he's going to be able to set some hard screens. Uh, and and it, with his skill set, being able to shoot, uh, being able to set those those high pick and rolls, and then roll out for the for the three point shot, or head to the basket with a full head of steam, uh, is going to be is going to be enormous for Matthew Hurt. Duke has one other post player coming in in Jalen Johnson, I think, who is who's supposed to be competing for the highest number of minutes with Matthew Hurt in the post. But otherwise, the rest of the big men coming in should be firmly behind them in the rotation. So Hurt gets a lot of opportunities this year to, to be featured on offense. And if he is looking for that ticket to the NBA this season, his being able to maintain that size and and play at a high level is going to be really key for him and really key for the Blue Devils. So I'm I'm excited to see it. I'm glad that that it was a it was a focus for him, and and it sounds like his his family was was a part of it. So that that's really good. Um, but looking ahead at the season, Duke doesn't really. I mean, yes, the you know Mark Williams is a is a freshman center who's who's seven feet tall and and true center size. But Duke is going to have a lot of minutes this year where it's Hurt and Johnson playing, you know, alternating, playing deep in the post and and playing outside, having big size among those two guys is going to be really key.
0: And really, when you're talking about Matthew Hurt, one thing that stuck out to me or a couple of things, really. He mentioned – we talked about this back, and I want to say May or early June, when the Brotherhood had a one of the Nolan Smith podcasts with a lot of the current players on it. And he mentioned that he had access to a gym and that he was lucky that he had access to a gym. So clearly, he's been taking advantage of that during the pandemic. But also – and I'm not saying anything that you guys don't already know or anyone out there doesn't, but I'll say it anyway – When you shoot 50,000 shots, I don't care in what period of time, and your arms don't fall off, they become stronger. And so that means that we're going to see him, that that means it's repetition for him. And really, I hope, you know, I know he was probably doing it in, in situations that mimic what he will see on the court during the season. And hopefully that means that his shooting percentage will go up because if his shooting percentage goes up to like, you know, shooting threes from, you know, 40%, then that means he is going to be a problem for other people to deal with. Jason, what did you have on Matthew Hurt and just, you know, how his shooting is going to relate to the rest of the rotation this year?
2: So to me, it's not as much the shooting as it is the size, because Matthew Hurt at 215 pounds was not able to play in the post effectively. And I mean, defensively, getting rebounds, things like that. Matthew Hurt's rebound rates last year were not good. And part of that was he was just physically pushed around by other big men. and Coach K, as we all know, loves to play his five best players. That is, that is what Coach K does. And he you know, he often says there are no positions. He wants to put his five best guys out there. And I'm telling you right now that his five best guys will probably not include Patrick ToPay or Mark Williams, who are the two sort of centers on the roster, They're the two guys who you naturally say, these guys play in the post, they defensively, they play center, they rebound, that's their role. Um, not, you know, I think both those guys can contribute in other ways, but they're not among the five best players in this Duke team. I don't think that's controversial to say. So if Coach K wants to put his five best players on the floor, um, he, someone has to play, someone has to guard the opposing team center. Someone has to play at least a little bit in the post. And, and everyone was wondering, you know, is Jalen Johnson as a freshman going to be able to do that? Didn't really feel like it. Um. Matthew Hurt at 215 pounds. We thought, nah, I don't know how he's going to do that. Well, Matthew Hurt at 240 pounds, whole different conversation. So I I think this opens the door for Coach K to play the lineup that he really wants to, which I think is probably either Jordan Goldwire or Stewart or Roach or Joey Baker. Uh, You know, those four guys, I think, sort of are perimeter players, along with Wendell Moore, Jalen Johnson, and Matthew Hurt. Um, I, 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 again, I don't think it's controversial to say that I expect those guys to be some set of those to be the five best players and that, that hurt Moore and Johnson are for sure going to be among them. So the fact that this guy can play at 240, that's a big deal for Duke. Um, because it just gives us more versatility and allows us to use Matthew hurt defensively against a big center, but offensively moving all around and taking that big center away from the basket.
0: So I think the the key here is not necessarily that Matthew Hurts' strength and his size now is going to allow him to start. I think it's going to allow him to finish. And I think it's going to allow Coach K to have those guys that you mentioned, Jason, that preferred five or preferred six, that they're all going to be on the court late in the game when we need them the most. And if you know, last year there were times where Matthew Hurt would have a great game, but we had to sub him out late in the games because he, his frame just wouldn't allow us to, you know, keep him in there for rebounding purposes or whatever. But at 240, he's wearing down the other guy, and the other guy is going to be tired at the end, and that's where he can shine. He shoots well from the line, he, he can rebound well, and at 240, he should be able to pull down five, six rebounds a game if he, you know, especially late in the game. When we need every possession to count and every defensive stop to matter. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that works out. Uh, and really, like you said, if, if he's going to be a guy that's 240 and, and shooting well, there's going to be no reason for him to not play 30, 35 minutes because there's going to be no opportunity for Coach K to say, ah, maybe we could take him off. He's going to make himself stay on the court, which I really
2: love. God, is it great to talk about real actual basketball guys it really is it really is Don- donald donald please tell me that we have more of it coming up after the break we do you know what coming up next
0: Wendell Moore takes on a new challenge and jason gets to ask me some questions about it we will talk about all of that after a brief break We are back on the DVR podcast. We want to move on next to Wendell Moore. Last Monday, Duke basketball announced that the sophomore forward was one of 11 players named to the first ever advisory committee for the national association of basketball coaches. The NABC intends to seek input from this group on issues related to the sport. And on Thursday, Moore conducted a zoom press conference to discuss exactly that. And Jason was able to participate and get some audio. So, Jason, I'm going to toss it to you. What did we learn from Wendell during that interview? And just tell us a little bit about what you saw during this press conference.
2: So it was uh, it was another one of these uh, press conferences. These are a lot of fun, and I'm I'm thrilled that uh, Duke um, the Duke Sports Information Department allows me to participate in these, along with a, a bunch of other reporters from around the country. Uh, we all get to ask different questions of the players, um, and and Wendell. Uh, you know, was the focus of this one because of him being on this NABC player um, development coalition. That's what they're calling it. Um, So I'm just going to go ahead and let you folks listen to the interview. Uh, A couple of the reporters introduced themselves before their questions, but just know that these are all national reporters who cover Duke basketball. The the conversation really, uh, the the snippets you're going to hear starts talking about the 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 player coalition that Wendell's a part of. And then we kind of move into a couple other topics, including what he's seen from his teammates thus far this year, early in practice. But here's the interview that we did, that I did, and a few other reporters did just a couple days ago with Wendell Moore. What, What leadership skills do you think that you've been able to attain, you know, during your college years at Duke? that will help you with this uh, new position that you have been appointed?
3: I probably feel like just for me, uh, just a chance to use my voice more. Uh, coach, I always wants to be more vocal on the court and having an opportunity like this um, just allows me to do that. I mean, this year I'm considered an upperclassman, but I'm still a sophomore, uh, considering we have seven new guys on our team. Um, so I really just all that together helps me become a better leader uh, in a whole.
2: Oh, hey, Wendell, Jim Sumner, uh, you're trying to get some more specifics about this. What subjects do you want to see addressed by this NABC Council? How do you see it playing out? What's the end game? Will there be a report? Will it be more informal suggestions? Just, you know, kind of getting to the weeds a little bit and tell us what you want to see happen.
3: I mean, obviously, this is just the start of something special. Um, we're kind of like the experiment group of guys. Uh, to hopefully this become a larger thing and uh, hopefully kind of map it out to be kind of like the NBA uh, Players Union. Um, we kind of just want to have an input in everything that goes in with the college basketball, whether it's um, how we play our games or how many games we play, uh, the money that goes into it, uh, what happens to the players, what happens to everything. We just want the players to um, get treated fairly so they don't feel like I uh, lose kind of interest in their sport early that way. Uh, you see guys going to the G League and things like that. We just want to have an opportunity to keep guys in college because uh, college is obviously a one-in-lifetime experience, and we, and we want to make it that way for all athletes.
0: What were specific things you wanted to work on this offseason in, in preparation for this year?
3: I would probably say the biggest thing for me wasn't wasn't so much, like, my my physical abilities or my my uh, ball handling, my shooting, my dribbling. Um, I think for me it, it was more of a mindset thing, um, just getting into my own – uh, headspace, um, where I can ultimately uh, play the game how I want to play. Uh, at, my, at my speed, at my pace, uh, just developing a confidence that I felt that I was missing last season, uh, ultimately to make me uh, a better player in the long run.
2: Jason Evans, Duke Basketball Report. Um, a couple questions for you, somewhat related to COVID and, and uh, you know, trying to figure out how to play a college basketball season. There's been a lot of talk lately about the notion of perhaps putting college basketball teams into a bubble like for conferences and then for the NCAA tournament. Is that something that you've thought about at all? Have you spoken to any, um, you know, fellow players about it? What do you all think about that as a possibility, um, you know, even if it would maybe mean being isolated from everyone except for your team for several months?
3: Um, I kind of feel like here uh, is kind of what we're doing now. Um, Obviously, we have the money to do that. Uh, Some schools may not be as fortunate. I mean, I can't speak for those schools again. Uh, Obviously, I think the idea of of a bubble uh, would be a really good idea uh, just to isolate uh, all the teams who want to play against each other in that bubble and uh, keep things safe, uh, keep away from the public, uh, just kind of keep us in our own area where we're able to play the game the right way and uh, safely.
2: So the the follow-up that I had was um, related to the NABC committee. Uh, Wendell, have you talked at all to either teammates or other players about the issues that you specifically want to bring up? Um, have you been in communication with anybody since sort of this was announced for you? Because I'd love to know what, you know, the entire basketball community is sort of saying to you uh, about the things that you should you should talk about as you represent all of them.
3: Uh, yeah, Def, I've been in contact with a lot of uh, my friends I have uh, like around the country in college basketball. And uh, more specifically, I've been in contact a lot with our team. And obviously, uh, the first thing everybody wants to say is money, money, money. Uh, everybody wants to get paid from this. And uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but also, the main focus is, again, uh, playing college basketball and, and how it's going to be played, if it's going to be played safely, uh, where we can make it through a whole, I mean, it might not be a whole season, but however long the season's going to be, we want to make it the a whole season with no stoppage. So we don't want to have to uh, start playing and stop, take a break, and maybe pick it back up or things like that. Uh, so, really, everybody's main focus is, get, is just getting the court. I know everybody's hungry to play. Uh, they've been waiting almost a half a year to play, so I know they're itching to get out on the court, and uh, that's the main thing that we're focusing on right now. Wendell,
2: um, getting back to, you know, what's been going on in practice, uh, I guess you guys have been practicing for a couple of weeks now. Um, can, can you just tell me, uh, you know, who's surprised you so far? Who's, you know, who, you know either among the freshmen or, the, or, you know, Patrick the transfer or, or among the returning guys, is there anybody that you go, wow, I didn't know that guy, you know, could do this or that, or, you know, who's impressing the most right now um, from what you've seen?
3: Um, yeah, that's a great question. Like, as I said before, we haven't really had any, uh, like, live action stuff yet, um, so I can't really speak on uh, what guys doing against each other uh, in, in practice, things like that. But just the workouts I've seen, um, I've been amazed at the way that every guy on this team can uh, shoot the ball. Um, uh, uh, even our bigs uh, can stretch the floor, uh, hit the three, and they've been uh, very consistent in making those shots. Um, so, yeah, I probably say that's the thing that I'm most impressed about um, about our team so far.
2: Well, so I don't know how much you heard it on that um, in those little snippets, but one of the really interesting things to me that Wendell talked about was his own personal confidence, and uh, he he brought this up a couple of times in the interview, and I, I didn't have time to really include a lot of sound bites about it, but but he said he needed the game last year he needed the game to slow down a bit for him and and that he he needed more confidence in his own game to play better. He also talked a little bit about um, being injured last year. remember, he missed the entire month of January. I think we forget about that um, and that uh, it it impacted his he'd never had an injury that had impacted him over such a long course of time and that it was sort of lingering with him throughout the rest of the season. He really feels much more confident coming into this year. He understands his role as a leader. He knows what he needs to work on and what he needs to get better at. He says the game has slowed down for him some. And, and you get the impression that he's very eager for the season to start because he knows that there are big things um, ahead for him. And he's very, very excited about that. He's also obviously very excited about his teammates guys, what did y'all hear that um, you thought was most interesting in the conversation with him?
1: I thought it was uh, notable that he, when when asked about what is the committee looking for, he said, money, money, money. Uh, sh- I think showing the hand a little bit on on what the top, top players are, are looking for. And and as we've said, I think the thing that's going to be most contentious about all of the, the discussion about, about player advocacy and, and player rights and all this stuff is that there is not an unlimited, untapped pot of money out there that that the players are suddenly going to have access to. The money is going to come from somewhere else, and and as we're seeing the you know around the country, lots of schools, more schools announcing this week that they're that they're shuttering uh, non revenue sports programs. All of that is going to accelerate in the world where the where the donations and the marketing dollars and all of that. Isn't necessarily going to the athletic department and is going to the specific athletes. So uh, it's uh, it's neat that that he's on the committee and it's neat that they've got representation. I, I think they've got pretty good representation across different geographies and and not all the players are from you know the the most high major programs. But I think yeah. it's certainly overrepresented of the high major programs. So the issues that are most important to players at Duke and Kentucky are not the same issues that are important to players at, at other schools. Those tensions are going to arise at some point And, and this is the starting point.
2: Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to mention, um, he, he made it very clear that coach K had selected him for this, for this role. And, and, and that essentially there were 11 prominent coaches across the country who I think had been tapped by the NABC to select players to be a part of this, just so everybody knows um, it's Wendell Moore from Duke, North Carolina's uh, Armando uh, Baycott is one of the players. Colorado has a player. Kentucky's Keon Brooks, Harvard has a player. So Tommy Amaker selected someone Uh, Villanova, Gonzaga, Michigan state, Texas Christian TCU, Syracuse and high point Um, high point. Kind of a strange. So, well, so, so, uh,
1: so, right. So, so looking there, you're overrepresented on programs that, Win national championships, make Final Fours, all that kind of stuff, and from there North are Carolina. three there and and from North Carolina because there are, there are three North Carolina schools in that list. Although I don't know that High Point is winning national championships, but you never know uh, that you know. Certainly, things could change. Uh, Davidson had Steph Curry, and they almost made a Final Four. So so anything could happen at any time. But the that list of schools is overrepresenting on on the players that that. I, I don't. I don't want to say they, they feel aggrieved, but the players that probably have the most potential to earn money by playing college basketball and not a ton of representation from the ninety-five plus percent of schools that don't have any of these recognizable players—the the kinds of kids who, yes, maybe they could get some kind of, you know, personal advertising revenue because they're because they're doing pizza shops in their town, in in their college town, but but not much farther out from there.
2: Uh, yeah, but you've got. You know, player from Colorado, player from High Point, we've mentioned Harvard, TCU. I mean, these are not these are not national title contenders, and they're going to have voices on this committee. And And let's be clear that this committee is not making grand decisions. What they're going to try and do is give recommendations um, they're going to try and, you know, sort of come up with things that they would really like that they think represent all of college basketball, all college basketball players, present them to the coaches. Cause this is a committee formed by the NABC, the national association of basketball coaches, and then hopefully have the coaches present them to the president and the, and the administrators and the such. Uh, look, I don't know that there's going to be a lot accomplished by this committee, but at least it's beginning to give players a voice. And if players are able to speak, look, if Wendell or, or. One of the other guys in this committee is able to stand up and say, hi there, I'm speaking on behalf of these other guys who represent, you know, hundreds of players across the country. And we think X, it carries more weight than anything the players have been able to do in the past. And that's that's why
1: I thought, that's why I thought it was interesting that
2: someone, I don't know if it was
1: you, Jason, or somebody else asked more about who he's talked to. I I think you might've brought this up. Who is Wendell Moore talked to? Because certainly it's not just the Duke guys that he knows. he knows. The other players that he played against on AAU, who are probably all at, at prominent programs, but in high school, he probably played with a lot of players who are not high major players, who who, who played throughout Division I and, and, and even lower division college basketball. And presumably, he's still friends with some of those people. And I would think the same is the case for, for all the guys in this committee. They are talking not just to their own teammates. So Moore obviously talks a lot to his Duke friends, but he has friends he played with growing up. And they also are representing sort of a part of the constituency that you would think he's, he's, he's representing on this committee. That, 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 that's the part of it that is most intriguing to me, because that's where the fault lines are going to appear when, when these discussions start to break down.
0: Yeah, I think that was the one thing that stood out to me. There's a couple of things, but that one was one. The fact that, a lot of these, a lot of these players from the bigger schools have that expansive network that they can tap into. Not just with AAU, but with high school people, they grew up with, people that they went to college with, people that they've known throughout the the conference. I mean, it's not like our guys aren't talking to UNC players, and UNC players are talking to NC State players. They all know each other very well, and you you want to be able to uh, use that network to get a nice base or round a well-rounded balance of what people are thinking and it's not just what people think in North Carolina because what people think in North Carolina is different than what people may think in Texas which is why you have these guys from all across the country and hopefully we'll be able to create a a, give a better sense and really when it comes to the committee being formed now they're setting the wheels for the next one I mean it's not like we need to expect window more to walk in there and start you know breaking tables and, 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 you know, kick, you know, kicking people out of boardrooms, he's going, these guys are going to lay the groundwork for the next group that comes in and they're going to take that and build upon it. But the one thing that I also want to note that stands out is that coach K picked him. That tells me that coach K values his leadership, he values what he brings to the table and thinks that that is something that should be represented on a national level. I think that speaks volumes about, what Coach K thinks of Wendell Moore from a leadership standpoint, but also the kind of kid that Wendell Moore is, because he's going to be able to take that knowledge and take that confidence that he was talking about in the interview and bring that to the national level.
3: Odds and,
1: and that one, Wendell Moore odds that Wendell Moore becomes a sophomore captain on this team this year seventy five percent,
2: pretty high. I, right, I think it's basically want,
1: guaranteed at this point.
2: One one more thing I want to mention, just really really quick. Uh, look, I know Wendell Moore has. Aspirations of playing in the NBA, and we know that it was considered after his freshman year, and and I think it's probably pretty likely that he goes after his sophomore year. But it would be really great if some of the guys on this committee were able to stay for a couple of years and build on whatever it is that happens with them. I'm not saying that there's any type that you know that this means Wendell Moore is going to lean toward coming back or anything like that. But it'd be really great if he was able to take what he learns in year one and still be there in year two
0: (laughs) continuity is, is a wonderful thing when it comes to starting committees. I know by example, having started a couple, you want to have someone on there that knows what the the trials and tribulations you went through the year before so that the year after is not as uh, as more easy sailing. Uh, But it, it doesn't necessarily have to be window more, but I feel like some of those guys on the committee are in that same boat where they're thinking, okay, if a couple of us can take this knowledge and pass it on directly to the next group, we are being in a better spot than we were today.
2: And if coach K wanted a guy who was only going to be on the committee for one year, he would have picked Jordan Goldwire in all likelihood. So who knows? Maybe, maybe this means something.
0: To close out, we did want to touch on some comments that Coach K made last Tuesday about the NCAA tournament. He was on the new Keyshawn, Zubin, and Jay Will radio show. Yes, that is our own very Jay Will uh, on ESPN. And they were discussing how the COVID-19 pandemic could affect this upcoming season of college basketball. And Coach K basically said that the NCAA simply can't afford to lose out on, an, on another NCAA tournament. I'm going to quote him directly from the show because it's important that we hear what he actually said. He said, quote, we're the thing that the NCAA is most concerned about because men's college basketball and the tournament pays for something like 98% or more of the money for the NCAA. We need to have the tournament. We can't have it where two years in a row you don't have the NCAA tournament. Now, to be clear, Coach K was not saying that college basketball must proceed at all costs. That is what a lot of people on Twitter were saying. It was quite the contrary he's asking for the NCAA to do something it has rarely done during this pandemic. Show leadership. He wants things to be safe. He was asking the NCAA to see to it that their players can participate in college basketball in the safest possible environment. Sam, I want to start with you. Give me your thoughts. Is Coach K right? Is the NCAA in trouble if they can't pull a college basketball season complete with the NCAA tournament
1: together this year? Definitely, because the NCAA tournament is where all the money for the ncaa comes from so the i i don't think anything about what coach k said is is really surprising when you think about what the organization is and what it does because hey, hey is- sam
2: we should sam we should we should remind folks that college football is its own sort of separate entity in terms of the postseason and the money that's generated by it that it that's it, right it, yeah it, it's not like the ncaa turn there's a reason that the bowls are not called the ncaa bowls there's a reason that the 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 championship series that we have is not called the NCAA College Football Championship. The NCAA has nothing to do with that and does not take in money from that. The NCAA yeah. gets its money from the basketball tournament.
1: Right. So you can think of the NCAA as being an umbrella organization for all the schools and conferences that administers some but not all, specifically not the – Division One A football, the 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 FBS championship, but it administers everything else. It does it does oversee eligibility of football players. So it's not like the NCAA has nothing to do with football, but it doesn't it doesn't make money from the football games the way that it does from the basketball tournament. That's the the number one revenue generator for the NCAA. It, it runs all the championships, and so that's where its money comes from. So if the NCAA can't Pull off something of a basketball tournament this year. It is going to be big trouble for the folks who work there, but also for the schools that can't get that payout money. We, we've talked about how the the bowl season is important for for dollars, and the and and the, the football regular season is important for for schools to get paid. But the NCAA tournament is a big part of that. So. Um, I don't think what Coach K said was was particularly surprising other than the fact that he came out and said it. And, and we know that, that he doesn't like to speak publicly on issues very often, but he said, you know, this, this is the time for real leadership. This is the time for creativity. This is the time for the NCAA to really think about how they can administer the tournament and what is going to bring eyeballs to TVs for for the tournament. And if that means they have to bubble the players up for a few weeks to do it, you know th- th- that has to be an option a lot of the a lot of the student athletes are at schools that are going online anyway, so what's the difference if you're you know taking classes in in Durham or taking classes in a in a bubble in Florida um, this is This is the time when they have to be creative because honestly, a lot of these not coach K but a lot of these other folks, their jobs are on the line if if they can't figure out how to make this thing work safely this year
0: yeah and. You know, you mentioned, you know, the bubble aspect of things. Calipari was on the same show. He had mentioned, you know, that players should, or teams should consider having a bubble. Wendell Moore in his interview, Jason, I don't know if you picked this up, but he also mentioned that for the most part, the guys don't interact with anyone outside of the basketball program at this point. Uh, I mean, obviously, things could change now that classes are starting up this week. But for the most part, he's saying that, you know, they haven't seen anybody but the basketball team. And that is in itself a little bit bubble. But one thing that Coach K did mention that I think is important when people look at the headline and say, oh, Coach K just once doesn't care about safety. He mentioned that he does not care when the NCAA tournament is. And I'll quote again. He said, I think you should start. I think that's where you should start. Make sure you have the tournament. It doesn't make any difference when it is because we don't even know when the NBA season is going to be next year. And we should look at them to see how they navigate the waters going forward. They've navigated them really well with the bubble. And I think what he means is the the NBA season has been usually what the NCAA tournament works itself around. The draft, the combines are all based around that. Now we have a situation where the NBA finals for this year won't end until October 12th. And now they're considering the their proposed start of the season was December 1st, but now they're considering delaying the NBA start of the season even further. Also the same thing with the draft. They're considering all these things this week. So what will happen to college basketball? There's no need for college basketball to end in March. If they're not going to have a draft or another season until next October or next November, why, what, you know, Why sit there and rely on the same timetable that we've worked on before we're in a new world now. So maybe, you know, the, if the NCAA tournament needs to be delayed until May, June, then maybe do that because if it's able to, if we're able to get a college basketball season in safely, I think that works well for everyone involved. Obviously, safety is the primary concern here, but I think when it comes to Coach K, he's just looking for someone in the NCAA to say, okay, we are taking all these steps. Here's what we're gonna do. And so far, he has to speak up because no one else is doing it.
2: And the last thing I want to point out, and Sam alluded to this, but I want to I want to put it in hard terms of dollars. 867 million. That's how much money the NCAA tournament, the basketball tournament, generated in revenues in 2019 867 million dollars if putting players in a bubble and testing them and you know doing all kinds of other you know stuff to ensure the safety of the process cost you okay 100 200 million to get that 867 million it's worth it they're going to figure out a way to do this i am absolutely convinced of that It is too important to the future of the NCAA. It's too important to the future of of college basketball. And it makes too much financial sense. They're going to figure out a way to do it. I'm I'm absolutely sure of it. my, My bet is we're going to see sort of little mini bubbles along the way that we'll see conference bubbles. We may see sort of mini tournament bubbles. I could see some. John Calipari talked about the notion of taking the teams in the Champions Classic, which Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, Kansas, take them put them in a bubble for a week. You know, you do some testing, you put them all together. Maybe, maybe they play two games rather than one game against each other. And, and, and then that bubble breaks up. They go back to different places and we form new bubbles with new sets of teams together. I, I think you're going to see that kind of thing happening across college basketball. And then eventually we will make our way to a tournament. Donald, I think you're right. I think the timing, it may not be March. It may be may and who knows what the world will look like then, but I think they're going to, they'll do everything they can to have it because they have 867 million reasons to pull it off.
0: And I think when it comes to the ACC, to close it out, the ACC might be in the best position of anybody uh, to create said bubble because they have the Greensboro Coliseum, which is not used by anyone, but is the, basically, if you think about it, is is the de facto center of the Atlantic Coast Conference. So I think when it comes to that, the Big Ten doesn't have like a, a gym that they can use. They, they use NBA gyms, SEC, uses NBA gyms to conduct their tournaments. But when it comes to the ACC, they can always rely on Greensboro to have a neutral site that everyone can play their games in for an entire season. Now, will it be something that they do it in an entire bubble? Like they're doing like the wobble for the WNBA. There's also the fact that like Aussie rules football is doing phases where they have phased bubbles and they do it for like five weeks here, or five weeks there, but they're, they're still in bubbles, but they're like, Jason said, they're just moving from bubble to bubble. Uh, there's ways to do this. And it sounds like we will know by the middle of September, how they're going to proceed, at least the NCAA's proposal on how they're going to proceed. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing that uh, at that time frame. but it's going to be interesting to see how they come up with a plan, because it seems like if they don't do it, The the teams will, because the teams are not going to sit back and rest and and allow the NCAA to
2: force another cancellation of the season. And by the way, if you did Greensboro as a central hub for the ACC, you could potentially play games in Winston-Salem, in Durham, in Chapel Hill, in Raleigh. Those are all very easy driving distance. They're all less than an hour from Greensboro. So if you want, you know, you, you may even see the ACC suggesting to several conferences we can come together, and and we have places that are around here that are easy places where we can play basketball games. Remember, basketball, much easier in terms of footprint to pull off games than it is a, a football field that is a much larger um, facility. And with there's
0: if, if there's going to be no fans, which I assume if there's going to be a bubble, there will be no fans, then you even have UNC Greensboro. You have NCAA and T, You have a bunch of – I mean, we – North Carolina has more gyms than people, it seems. So it's, there's going to be plenty of opportunities. Where's for, High
2: Point? Where's High Point?
0: High Point is right there. <laughs> also, so, also there
2: in the triad. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're also right there. So it's it really, you were going to have options for the ACC. And college basketball will will benefit from having a season. But again, let's see what the NCAA comes up with. And that will do it for us on episode number 225 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Listen, guys, if you have questions for us, please send us an email to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We keep requesting them. And if you ask them, we will find a way to answer them on a future podcast. We also accept all topic suggestions as well. Until next week, we thank you all for listening and for Jason Evans on the Jersey Shore and Sam Klein in Boston. I am down the line temporarily in Texas. Stay safe on these streets, ladies and gentlemen, and we will leave you with the Duke Band to take us
2: home.